what a monster sports week for the Jets and the Knicks. And there's so much to talk about. This is the 37 Years Podcast, episode 13. Mike Dubin here with my son, Matt Dubin. Matt, what a week, huh? It's, it's been quite a week for sports for our teams, man. Yeah, yeah. So no baseball today. It's, it's raining in New York. And honestly, the Mets are glad. No one should be happy. No one's been paying attention. This week. <laughs> we'll, we'll have plenty of time for baseball because the Jets will fade after a few weeks. Uh, what a week. So let's start with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers, we did our emergency podcast on Monday. Uh, great, great, great thing to happen for the Jets. And and as you know, we, we talked on the emergency pod about sort of the, the parameters of the trade, and we're not going to go through all of that. We have too much more to talk about. But we were I was thinking this week after, you know, putting some context on it, and there are some things that have happened in New York sports history that are transformative for teams. And I heard on the radio today, people were comparing this as a sort of transformative thing to Mark Messier joining the Rangers in 1994, which I think is equivalent. I'm not as much of a hockey person, but the Rangers went on to win the Stanley Cup. Um, They hadn't won since 1940. So that was a transformative thing. But when I look in the context of our world of of Mets, Jets, Knicks, I I look at this in a transformative way, the Aaron Rodgers trade, like the Gary Carter trade to the Mets in 1985. And I'll just give give you a little historical context here. The Mets had been terrible for about 10 years heading up to 1984. And they started, things started to come together. And they had, you know, Keith Hernandez came in 1983, Daryl Strawberry, then Dwight Gooden, Ron Darling, that whole crew, and Mookie and everyone. And then they were missing one big piece at catcher. And Gary Carter came in. Uh, he was later in his career, not as late as Aaron Rodgers, and brought the whole team together. They had a great 1985, almost beat the Cardinals, and then won it all. And, and as everyone knows, in 1986, Gary Carter was right in the middle. Aaron Rodgers, what's great about him coming in, similar to Gary Carter, um, is that he, when you saw his press conference and you saw him throwing the ball around with Alan Lazard the day after, he's all in, just like the Jets were all in. This isn't like a guy coming sort of at the tail end of his career, like, I don't know, like Philip Rivers joining the Colts where they don't care one way or the other. He's here to win a Super Bowl. He was talking about the Jets Super Bowl trophy. And I have to tell you, just personally, I'm listening to the guys on the radio and reading the newspapers. They're all predicting Super Bowl for the Jets. I'm not quite there yet, but this is the most exciting thing that's happened to the Jets. And and Matt, what what are your thoughts? Because I'm just very excited by this. I think think as we've been doing these episodes and evaluating the Jets quarterback options – if you got a guy or over the years, they've gotten these quarterbacks who won in some capacity, but even just looking squarely at this year too, you look at guys like Derek Carr, you look at guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, they're good players, but they, they've never won a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. they, the, the combination for Rogers, isn't that isn't just that he's a great quarterback and has consistently put up spectacular numbers and is, is been awesome for years, but that he's won a Super Bowl before he's actually done it. And I think, the Jets over the years in the quarterback position, probably being one of the most imperative on a football team, have either tried to put band-aids on it with draft picks or have tried to bring in stopgap veterans who are just okay. So to see 
a guy of this talent level and this transformational skill and ability come into this position is is actually unbelievable. Yeah, it it just he's he's you know he's talking about a, a two year window. He, but the you know this is the all in year because this is the year they have to make the jump from the the seven and ten to the you know twelve win team which they could have been last year with good quarterback play. This is the year that they become a team that makes that makes the not only makes the playoffs but makes a run in the playoffs. They're going to be on every primetime game. They're going to be on every four o'clock game now. I, I've heard that CBS has requested that the Jets be their first four o'clock game. Um, you know, it's going to be Jim Nance every week. It's going to instead of you know Adam Archuleta and James Lofton or whoever was announcing the Jets. It's going to be mm. a very big, high-profile change. But uh, he's coming in with the right attitude. He's he wants to win. This is a big proving thing for. For him, and if he does win, bring the Jets even to the Super Bowl, he'll be in that group with Messier and Willis Reed and Tom Seaver and Joe Namath and, and Walt and Walt and you know Eli Manning and all of the uh, great New York sports legends who have won championships. So, uh, Matt, any last word on Rodgers, and then we'll go to the draft. Yeah, I think it's a unique situation in that he's coming to this Jets team that isn't just a disaster. It's a it's a fully formed team with skill and ability. And I think that's something that was imperative in this, because even the the Brett Favre beers or some of these other veterans, the Jets have tried to plug in. It hasn't been fully formed Jets teams. And I think now they have a very good infrastructure for him to come in to succeed. So especially the defense. Yeah. And I think that's what I think, you know, once again, I think it was key that the Jets actually played Green Bay Bay last year and beat them in Lambeau when he was on the team. He got to see the defense. He got to feel the defense. And he, you know, the the defense, it's just like the 1985 Mets where they brought in Carter when they had the infrastructure to win rather than you know they're expecting someone like Aaron Rodgers to pull them up from sort of nothing so it's quite quite exciting so the other big event so the the Rodgers thing segued right into the draft and let's talk about the draft the the 22 2022 draft last year's draft for the Jets was transformative also you brought in sauce you brought in Garrett Wilson Brees Hall uh, Johnson, a bunch Max of Mitchell. other Max Mitchell, a bunch of guys who play. And so I think what people were looking at was, you know, and remember something else. The Jets had a lot of extra picks last year. They still had Seattle's pick from the Jamal Adams trade. But this year, it may not be looked, it needs to be as transformative and it needs to be efficient. And I think what happened the other night on the first night of the draft, the Jets pick Will McDonald, who's a defensive uh, lineman, uh, linebacker type, and everyone's jaw dropped because he wasn't in any of the mock drafts, and he. there were other guys on the board that people were more familiar with. Now, I want to talk about the draft in totality, but Matt, give me where you were on Will McDonald when we didn't know where else the Jets were going to go and what we think of Will McDonald. Yeah, so you were right. In my first gut reaction was I was pretty shocked and stunned and taking an, a kind of a like a linebacker flex. I mean, he's they project him out as an edge at the NFL. 
he needs to put on weight. Uh, he sits at like two, two forty or something definitely needs to put on weight. It was kind of a precarious pick just because you have a lot of edge rushers and situational edge rushers, you know, Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens, Bryce Huff, JF, JFM, John Franklin Myers. So it, it, it just didn't make a t- or Carl Lawson. It didn't make a ton of sense. But the more I thought about it, the more I started to like it just because I watched McDonald's tape, saw he was very versatile in his blitzing action. You can get to the quarterback. And the whole point of getting Aaron Rodgers is you, you have a defense that can give him the ball back quickly. And when you can generate sacks and generate pressure uh, pretty readily, you can get your quarterback the ball back. So I, I actually didn't hate the pick. Yeah, so it was interesting. So the Jets were in an interesting spot. The, the, we, the, the four offensive linemen that they were looking at presumably were off the board. Um, then you're into guys like should they have taken JSN from Ohio State, which we'll talk about. But honestly, they're pretty loaded at receivers that, and, and, and the tight ends, the same thing. And what was interesting is that none of the receivers or tight ends were picked until five picks later, which sort of may tell you something else also. Um, and we love JSN, and I think Seattle, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but Seattle may not, you know, is probably a great place for him to start, and we'll see. But um, while that might have been a sexier pick, if we look at Will McDonald, he, he definitely seems like he's someone who's going to contribute next year. And also gives them some flexibility on defense to potentially move someone like John Franklin Myers inside because they yeah. do need a little help inside. And it also it's someone who could sort of spot some of the guys at linebacker, too. So it's an interesting angle there. But then when we look at it in totality and what the Jets did next is they picked Joe Tipman from Wisconsin last night, a center, and that is going to help the line. And then today... Right before we started this podcast, Carter Carter Warren from Pittsburgh, another offensive tackle who is an upside guy who was injured but could have been even a day two pick. Now you're looking at a whole different scenario. And Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I love the Tipman pick. I think center, even with McGovern being brought back, they needed a guy who could fortify the middle. Uh, Tipman, I watched some of his tape in, in certain Big Ten games last year. He's he's a mauler. The dude is he's bigger. He's like six, six, which is kind of weird for a center. But he's really, really a good center. I think he's a 10 year, 15 year center for the Jets. So job well done by Joe Douglas. Love Tipman. And I think Carter Warren is kind of an upside, high upside guy. You can play swing tackle. Uh, He's like six, five and five, eight two high 200s. He a lot of people thought he was a day two pick last year was trying yep. to work his way into day one this year, but only played four games. So honestly, on, on, on a very local, good local team, guy, local guy from New Jersey too, Patterson, New Jersey, where Victor Cruz is from. Yes. So yes. I actually really like that pick. I think Carter Warren could potentially be like a dark horse to, to start at some point. So I really like the, the stockpiling of linemen, not just for Aaron Rodgers, but for the run game as well. I think it's, I thought it was two great picks and successive rounds. Yeah, and I think what's great, and this is the same with Will McDonald, is they're flexible guys. So Tipman could conceivably move to guard, probably don't want to do that, uh, but he has sort of the range to do that. And Carter Warren can move around the line also. So now what you've done is you've brought in two high-level prospects, even though you didn't get the first-round tackle, who can move around the line and who can help – 
at multiple positions. And also, you know, then you have the opportunity, maybe AVT plays right tackle. You know, they have a new line coach who's going to have to figure a lot of this out. But now they've brought two good pieces into the offensive line mix in addition to another good piece into the rotation, if you will, on the defensive line. So um, while not the transformative draft of 2022, the it's definitely an efficient draft, I think. No, and and you and the Jets built are building through the trenches. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. like the Jet. I think a lot of the Jets teams of old focus too heavily on secondary, built taking cornerbacks and taking you know whoever. And last year we got Sauce, but this is about toughness and building through the trenches. And I think that's Joe Douglas's identity. It's how he built the Eagles into what they are. Um, and yeah. I think this is how he's building the Jets now. And I think it's going to work. Yeah, I, I do too, and I, I really like what they've done. We'll see what they do with the rest of the draft. They'll probably move, you know, for maybe a safety at some point, maybe even a running back to provide some depth there also because I heard they were maybe interested in Jamar Gibbs, which was interesting um, if that had happened. but Linebacker they, possibly could be an option. I think another linebacker too, another more traditional linebacker, not like a Will McDonald who's more of an edge rusher type, but yeah. maybe more of an inside guy. So I think net-net, obviously Aaron Rodgers, uh, very happy. The, the, the draft while still going on, and we may even get another pick before we're done here, we'll see. But uh, I think his is adding value to the Jets and – you know, there's a few more things to be done in the offseason getting Quentin Williams signed. But at this point, it's sort of all 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 guns ahead um, for the Jets. I think they, they've done really nicely. Yeah. And it's it's not the most like you were saying before. This isn't the most glamorous of drafts for the Jets, but they're doing stuff they have to do to fortify both sides of the ball and yep. fortify the lines. This isn't. It, like you could say, oh, we could have swung for JSN or we could have, um, you know, tried to trade up for a tackle that we needed. But it's like <laughs> at some point you got to look at things and be like, sometimes you have to make the safe pick that, you know, is going to is going to work the right way and just kind of roll with it. If that makes sense. Yep, yep. So we're I think we're pretty happy with the direction. I think the next checkpoint for the Jets will be in May when the schedule comes out and we'll talk all about that and, you know, other developments to date. So, Matt, I want to just run you around the league and you're the college football expert. I just want to hit you with a few teams that did some interesting things. Let's start with the Texans taking CJ Stroud and Will Anderson at the top of the draft. Yeah, I, I think Stroud, I've said this in previous episodes. Stroud is the most NFL ready quarterback. I think he, he's got the size. He's got the weight. He's processed as well. He's has a great arm and great touch. He's a guy you could teach any system to, and I think he'll be set for the league. So really like what the Texans did there to start building their offense. Will Anderson, I, I like to um, more of like a versatile Chase Young. He's just like a little built a little bit differently, but dude is like 6'4", 260 something. He get after the quarterback, great in run support. D'Amico Ryan's really good coach, going to build his defense his way. And I love how they traded up for that pick. So, and I think they tried to emulate what the Jets did in building on both sides of the ball. So good for the Texans. Yeah. Uh, really liked the moves there. Yeah, Texans. So the Jets are going to play the Texans next year. The Jets are also going to play the Eagles. The Eagles, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo from Georgia. Pretty interesting. Now they have about five guys on Georgia guys on their defense. Yeah, Howie, Howie Roseman's not messing around with uh, Alabama on offense and uh, 
and Georgia on defense. It's kind of funny, but but I can't blame the guy. I mean, the both teams have been excellent feeder programs. Jalen's, I mean, Jalen's, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo, both very good players. Nolan Smith, I thought was an underrated guy throughout the year. So can't can't blame the Eagles for wanting to stock up on those Georgia Georgia defenders. Yeah, they re- really be- rebuilt that defense. Another interesting draft class, and I'll just read this, is Detroit. They took Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, surprise running back. Two guys from Iowa, Jack Campbell and Sam Porter, And then they got in the second round, Brian Branch from Alabama. In the third round, they got Hendon Hooker from uh, Tennessee as sort of a prospect quarterback who I think is injured for the year. But boy, that's some haul. I mean, I know people raise their eyebrow with, Jamar Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs, in the, first, Jameer Gibbs yeah. in the first round, but what what is your thoughts on that, Matt? Really interesting mix of guys. The Iowa guys I like. I mean, Campbell's a little stiff, but I think he's a good linebacker. Um, at Laporta, I like is the the Iowa passing offense sucked, so it was it's good to see him go to a team that can throw the ball. I think Laporta will be great. People are high on him. Love Brian Branch. I think he'll be a very good player. Uh, versatile was looking at him for the Jets and later yep, on rounds. Yep, absolutely. And and in terms of Gibbs and Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker, interesting prospect to me. Thought he had a very good year, good kind of insurance policy for whatever they try and do at quarterback. And they have a sort of a crowded running back room, but I think Gibbs is a very good versatile player, so can't can't fault them there. So overall, a good. Hall, even though there were some eyebrows raised for the Lions. Yeah. Now, the the two other picks I want to talk about, I think a divisional one for Buffalo, I think picking Dalton Kincaid from Utah was a great pick for them to get a second tight end and someone who was very, very good in college. Yeah, I saw Kincaid in the UCLA and USC and, and even against Ohio State, and he's he's an unbelievable pass catcher. I mean, just a guy who just seems to get open every time. So pair him with Josh Allen. That's a, a just a great pick, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, the other team that loaded up and with one of our favorites was Jackson Smith, a jig bit uh, to uh, Seahawks, along yeah. with Zach Charbonnet. Um, and they also filled in a lot of positions. Seahawks really did well here. And, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigbit coming in as a third receiver for the Seahawks is pretty amazing. Yeah. Geno Smith is a dream scenario. It's DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, right? Yep. The second, yeah, second, and then, yeah, and then JSN is the third. I mean, that's an unbelievable receiver trio. So JSN's going into a good situation, solid quarterback. Uh, Charbonnet is a very good power running back, started at Michigan, transferred to UCLA. That's He's a great just straight-line runner, um, will be a good complement to Kenneth Walker. So Seahawks, once again, did very well. Yeah, so I think all in all, a good draft. If we get a uh, Jets additional pick, uh, before we go off, we will bring it to you. But if not, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk next, the other monster story of the week. We'll be right back. We are back. And the Knicks finished off the Cavs and a five game series, which was much less than what we thought it was going to be. And and I think where we start with this was I was not impressed with the Cavs at all. And uh, the coaching was bad. I thought their big men were soft and they didn't play well anyway. Um, And I think that the guards, Donovan Mitchell, was not 
a super duper star that he's cracked up to be. And thank God we didn't trade for him. And Darius Garland had his moments, but really was not consistent the whole series. Matt, what was your sort of overriding thoughts on the series? So I, I echo a lot of the same sentiments that you're talking about, but I think what is most most prevalent in this in that series was like like I agree with you on most points, but the the lack of rebounding was really surprising. Considering you have Jared Allen, you have Mobley, you yeah, have, you have Mobley, you have some of these other big guys, and they just didn't couldn't seem to get rebounds against even Josh Hart, who's a six foot five inch guard. It was very surprising, and I felt like the coaching strategy was a little weird, but I think it lends itself to two things. I think it was the lack of rebounding and toughness, but also the lack of bench for the Cavs. I think the guys who were coming off yes. the bench are old and kind of washed and not to the, any fault of their own. I just don't think they have a lot of talent coming off the bench for them. Yeah, I and, and it's very curious. We're going to talk about Miami in a minute, but it's very curious how they just sort of gave away Kevin Love in the middle of the season when they probably could have used him coming off the bench. Um, no, it's it, it's weird because I think behind <laughs> Allen and behind um, Mobley, there really isn't much big man depth for them. And I, and I think even their guards that they bring in, it's kind of these tweener like, guys who aren't great. You know what I mean? Yeah, Ricky Rubio and then, then um, Seti Osman. Yeah, just it was not an impressive showing by the Cavs. But the second part, we can talk about sort of how bad the Cavs are. But I have to tell you, the Knicks – stepped up in this series specifically some people and matt i'm going to give you some names and i want to get your reaction i'll jump in mitchell robinson i mean he was like everybody else can talk about some of these other guys how they were mvp of the series but his rebounding and his toughness like won the knicks a couple games i think he just controlled the paint he was the scoring doesn't even matter the dude just came to play and it was unbelievable he was he was great, and when he came out, and I think you brought up a great point, Matt, that Cleveland had no no subs on the on the boards. That when Hartenstein came in, they didn't miss a beat. I mean, he was great too. But boy, I've never seen Mitchell Robinson play that well. He was he was getting putbacks. He was you know the only one getting offensive rebounds. He was out rebounding Cleveland at every step. Just a phenomenal effort by him, and then Hartenstein in reserve. Uh, Obi, what's your Obi was there? fantastic. He the not only just like his stepping up for when Randall kind of was injured and he had to play more minutes, but he made the most of his time, stayed in front of his guys on defense, rebounded well, and really the scoring I think was something that Obi does very well as he scores in bunches and. He brought that to the to the Knicks that I think not a lot of other guys could. Yeah, I think Obi brings a very unique energy to the Knicks. I think he and Josh Hart bring this energy that seems to be, um, you know, not lacking with other guys, with some of the other guys, but just that sort of youthful energy. And Obi's just sort of a, a man who just shows up in the right place. And now the shooting, like you said, has sort of risen his game um, to where when we, we talk about the Miami series, I think one of the concerns is sort of Grimes and Randall coming back into the mix and what's going to happen to Obi. But let's keep going with this. Josh Hart, thoughts on him, Matt? His grittiness, I think, is the best part of his game. He does the little things that maybe, like you said last week, that don't show up in the in the box score. But he's just unbelievable. His His ability to drive to the rim – his fearlessness. I think you need guys like he's very reminiscent. A lot of the nineties players 
You need yeah. guys like Josh Hart on your team. Yeah, well, and I think in the Cleveland series, what was great, like you said, he was getting rebounds past the big men. He looks like Josh Hart to me, when I see him, he looks like one of these guys when you go play basketball in the park and it and it's like, you know, and winners for each game coming in and out. He seems like the guy who's on the court the whole day, like never loses in the park. I also, I agree with that sentiment. And I also think he's one of those guys who just like, he he's down for the fight. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not looking to be pulled out of the game. He told Tom Thibodeau, if you need me to play the full 48, I'll play. He just likes to play. And I think for some of these guys, they kind of run out of gas. And for him, he's just, he's out there and wants to compete, but he also wants to guard the best player on the floor, which will bode well for the Miami series. Yeah. And we'll talk about them, how he fits into the Miami series in a minute. RJ Barrett was beyond surprising and good for his, what we expected. The the R.J. Barrett of the first couple games of the series and the R.J. Barrett of the second cu- couple games of the series was was like night and day, I think. Yes. He was he was the first couple games. It was just like lackadaisical kind of let other people take the, the reins, not play my game, shoot the ball, like do whatever. The second half of the series, he said, to I think someone told him, R.J., your game isn't pulling up from three and kind of just standing out there. It's going after rebounds, it's playing good defense, and it's really attacking the rim. Yeah. And I think he, fa- he found that in himself in the second half of the series while also taking his jump shot when it was open. and have- I think the big thing with R.J. Barrett is when he has confidence in his abilities, good things happen. When he's yeah. kind of like lackadaisical and doesn't believe in himself, you can kind of see that reflect in his game. He's, re- he's really a fundamental basketball player. He took the ball to the rim. When he takes the ball to the rim, you know, an occasional three-pointer is good from him. But his game is getting to the rim, complimenting some of the other guys. Uh, and I think you brought up an interesting point. He showed up in the last three games of the series as did in the last game of the series, IQ, who had not really um, established himself in the, um, in, the, in the first few games, but in the last game against Cleveland, was just shooting the lights out. IQ, to me, it was a very weird series for him. It, it seemed to me when he was shooting the ball, he didn't believe it was going to go in. And I go back to confidence. Until game think, five. Until game, until game five. five. But in the previous games, he kind of just shot the ball very timidly, and I think he kind of just felt like, this it it seemed a little bit all too big for him, but yeah. he really came into his own. And I hope in the Miami series he can establish himself because as a second unit guy, I think he needs to be putting up ten between ten and fifteen points a game for them to to be winning games in that series. Yeah, yeah, no, he was great in Game Five. We we don't have to spend a lot of time on Jalen Brunson. He's just so excellent, and we yeah. talk about him all the time. But I do want to talk about something else that doesn't get talked about. I mean. The coaching job that Tibbs did in this series especially was unbelievable. Benching Randall when he needed to be benched. Um, just pushing all the right buttons with the big man and, and you know, letting guys stay out there when they, you know, might have been t- – I mean, he just did a great job as he's done for most of the season. And, I mean, a big credit to him that he, I, he may not even get enough credit. Yeah, the, like this is what I, why I say the Knicks – when our team – well, in general, my general thesis – when our teams find coaches who've been players who've been there before, good things tend to happen. Like you look at Aaron Rodgers in Super Bowl. You look at Thibodeau's been to the Eastern Finals and has been his competitive series. This is the Mets, even with you know with um Buck, I forget Buck Buck, 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 Buck. Showalter, the yeah. you know like he's you know coached great 
the great teams before it's or manage great teams before it's not an accident this is happening like Thibodeau they, they, all the other coaches Jeff Hornacek uh you know Derek Fisher yeah they, they've yeah. never done anything but in coaching had never done anything before so having Thibodeau and the job he's done and been there before it, it matters in the, against JV Bickerstaff who has just kind of been around, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, it was like night and day in Quest. But now, as we turn to the Heat, it's going to be a little different. And I am way more scared of the Heat, who just came off beating number one seed Milwaukee, than I am of Cleveland because, and I'll just start with this, the coaching's better, the superstar Jimmy Butler is better, and the role players are better, although not really as deep in the starting lineup. But Matt, your thoughts just at high level on the Heat. I'm actually I'm one of those people who's not as scared of the heat for the reasons you said. I'm not soup. I think the coaching is better. I don't think Butler scares me as much. I think Donovan Mitchell and Butler like like Mitch Butler's played well recently, but I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell's like better than Butler, but I'm not saying they're both like blowing each other away in terms of talent. I think what scares me the most is that they have guys who can hit threes. They have yeah. like Duncan Robinson, they have Struess, they have some of these other guys. And Bam Adebayo is kind of an interesting matchup because he's not really – like a lot of people said, oh, Mobley and like Allen are stretch big men. But like Bam Adebayo can stretch it out. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of approach that. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think Butler is, you know, a tougher player, but I think he can be contained – uh, they don't have Tyler Hero, which is a huge loss for them. And I think they caught Milwaukee on a real sort of downward spiral. Uh, and with, with Giannis being injured for a few games, and Milwaukee thought they could just come back as soon as Giannis did, and it didn't quite work out like that. Now, the, let's just talk one interesting Knicks angle for the series. Grimes is going to be healthy, and Randall looks like he's going to play, although it's hard to tell. Um, how do you think the Knicks integrate those guys back into the lineup based on being so successful against Cleveland? You might have to bring them off the bench initially. If like Randall's not like full go 40 minutes, like you might have to let them come in off the bench. Uh, Grimes too. I, th- I don't know if you can start them if they're not fully healthy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think definitely Grimes and, and I think Randall, they're going to have to be careful. He may benefit by playing less minutes actually especially in the beginning of the series i think they're going to need randall's size against the heat because the heat are really scrappy for the rebounds and i think are going to be much tougher and i don't mean tougher as a team but just a a grittier team than cleveland and i think randall randall too just for like like you said the rebounding ability but i think for the physicality i think if you have like robinson and randall out there against bam they have nobody else who can really match up with them yeah, so Matt, we'll talk obviously more as this series go on, but where do you see this going as a series, like prediction-wise? Um, I think Knicks in six. I think the Knicks win 4-2. I think Butler will have a good game or two, but I think the Knicks pull this one out. Um, people say seven. I mean, I don't know. The Knicks just seem primed if Randall – this is all assuming that they're fully healthy and Randall and Grimes are good to go. But I just feel like the Knicks are on a roll and they can get into the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it'll be Knicks in five if they win the first game and Knicks in six if they don't win the first game. I think first games of these series are always tricky. And I anticipate tomorrow's first game to be very, 
very close. Um, and then we'll see after that. So uh, a great series coming up. Now, let's just take a minute and talk about some of the, the I mean, NBA playoffs. There's nothing better than having these games on every night. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Um, Celtics 76ers. What do you think there? Because that's who the Ooh. Knicks will play. I think the uh, tough. I think the Celtics pull it out in seven. I think it's going to be a great series, though. I, I I don't know. It's tough. I think it's going to be a really great series. I think it's going to go the wire. I something tells me Philadelphia is going to win, and we might yeah. have a Knicks Philadelphia. I, something tells me Embiid is just going to show up and play. But I think if the Seventy Sixers fall behind two zero, I think then the Celtics will rule, and that would be because uh, Embiid's not fully healthy. In the West, they're going to be two phenomenal series. The first one, Denver-Phoenix starts tonight, and that is a great series. Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i going to ride with Denver. I want Jokic to, to pull it out, but still with Durant and Booker and uh, Chris Paul, it's, it's going to be tough. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll take Denver in seven, but that's going to be a great series too. Yeah, I'm going to take Phoenix in seven. I think Phoenix is going to show up for this, but I think it's going to be a great series. Now, the other interesting thing, if we, there was just so much good stuff on last night. There was Golden State and Sacramento play a game seven, and the winner plays the Lakers. So who do we think in Golden State, Sacramento, game uh, seven? Is it Sacramento's Sac- at home, right? Home, Sacramento at home. Oh, give me, give me Sacramento. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you. I think after last night they, they took the Warriors. and uh, Warriors had their chance in, uh, back where, in where, wherever they play now in San Francisco. And, and let- and let's just talk about, too, the, the Grizzlies and Lakers. The Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks was talking all that smack to LeBron and then gets punked out of the playoffs. Like, what? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know. Like, no, it's in the, look, the Lakers are, are going to play either Golden State or Sacramento and definitely have a good chance in that series, I think, uh, yeah. whichever one we play. But we'll, we'll cover that next week. So a busy day, a busy week. Uh, Jets haven't made any further picks, so we'll, we'll sort of leave you with the fourth round uh, pick of um, that they made from uh, Carter Warren. But uh, very exciting times, very uh, what I would call monster week. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we'll talk a lot of baseball this week. Uh, like I said, it's good the Mets are sort of hiding out in the news behind everything because they haven't played well, and uh, – but by next week, they should have Scherzer and maybe even Verlander back. And sort of that's maybe when the season begins. So, um, Matt, any final thoughts? No, the great, great episode and great, to, great for everybody to uh, like and subscribe to the, to the yes, show. And we love the feedback. So keep it coming. Um, very excited. So thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Keep watching the draft and the Knicks tomorrow and enjoy yourself. Bye bye.